When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Hey everyone, welcome back to a new video. Before I begin on the stories, I just wanted to mention, if you have your own personal scary story that you would like to send me, for me to possibly narrate here on the channel, you can do so by sending it to southerncannibal.com. So if you have a personal true scary story that you'd like to share, please consider sending it my way. Now that all that's out of the way, let's begin. This was 1998 when this happened. An old friend of mine asked me to go camping with him. I hadn't been camping since I was about 12, so I agreed. It had sounded fun, and I was really excited all week leading up to the trip. I didn't get much sleep the night before because of it. He picked me up just after 5am, and we drove the 100 miles to the park. I managed to get a bit of sleep, so I felt a little better when we arrived. Then he dropped the bomb on me. We still had to walk another two hours to the campsite. I tried talking him into choosing one a little closer, but he'd swore I'd love it when we made it. With a heavy heart, I followed him. Now, the first half hour wasn't that bad. Most of it was downhill. However, as more time passed, I became sluggish. Halfway there, we took a short break but we were back on the trail before I knew it. The second leg was a lot more uphill. It wasn't long until I was dragging again and not paying attention to where I was going. We arrived at a flat section and I was relieved. My friend was in front and somehow missed the trap, but I didn't. All I remember was that one second and I was clomping along and hitting the ground the next. The contact with the bottom of the hole jolted me awake, and the rush of adrenaline masked most of the pain. As I stood up, my right leg buckled, and I dropped down into a sharpened stick, jutting out below me. Apparently, there were several more stakes in the bottom of the hole, but they had thankfully been knocked over. When I looked down, I saw the bone sticking out of my shin. Instinctively, I pulled the stick from my leg, and the pain made me even queasier than I was already. I looked up to get an idea of where I was, and I only saw the blue sky edged by the trees. I figured the hole was about 10 feet deep or more. It must have taken the idiots that dug it several days. I yelled up for my friend, only to see his laughing face greet me over the edge. He didn't know the extent of my injuries at that moment, but when I told him, the laughing stopped, and panic replaced it. I asked him what happened, and he told me it looked like some redneck poachers had dug some type of bear trap, and I'd fallen into it. I assumed he could simply reach down and pull me out, but that didn't work. So next, he attempted to reach me with a tree limb. 
This worked at first, but when I tried to stand up, the pain was far too severe. I couldn't put any weight on my right leg. It was obvious that I wasn't getting out of that hole without outside help. It was still very early in the day though, so I wasn't very concerned. I could hear my friend pacing around above me and freaking out. So I called up to him in a calm voice and I told him to get help. The ranger station was only a little over an hour back from where we came. He could easily get help and make it back to me with plenty of time before dark. Once he took off, I was left all alone with nothing but the pain to occupy me. By now it was coming in waves and the accompanying nausea wasn't making it any better. Initially, I thought I could make a splint, but the moment I tried to tighten it down, I almost fainted. Leaving it alone seemed to be the wise decision. I put my head between my knees and waited for the sick dizzy feeling to pass. Eventually it did, and I tried to focus on other things. Singing worked for a while. That is, until I started to hear thunder, and I had noticed the sky above me getting darker by the minute. Getting a little wet wasn't going to kill me, right? I should have considered my circumstances before saying that. The rain was relatively light at first, but within minutes, it was coming down in sheets. I was okay, until I then began to notice the hole filling up with water. My feet were already submerged by the time I realized I was in trouble. I called my way up the wall until I was standing, at least the best I was able, and started praying for it to stop. As the minutes passed, more of my body disappeared. After an hour, the storm began letting up, and I could relax. The water level was only about halfway up my shins, and I knew now, if it continued at that rate, help would be here before it even reached my waist. Unfortunately, it was just a lull in the storm. Soon enough, the rain was sheeting down again. The only positive about the whole thing was that it had taken my mind off the pain in my leg. I tried to be upbeat, thinking back on funny jokes and movies. The next hour was the longest in my life. When help finally arrived, the rain had almost completely stopped. At the time the ropes pulled me out, the water was just below my belt. Thinking about drowning to death in a little hole out in the middle of nowhere still gives me the willies. Once I was out of the hole, the ride to the hospital went by fast. After a surgery where I acquired some screws and a few plates, I was allowed to go home. The next day weeks on crutches would drag by, but I was just happy to be alive, broken leg or not. We never got to make up for the lost trip, but I've taken my kids out camping a few times in the years since. While it's on my mind, I may give my friend a ring. We haven't seen one another in a few years, and a camping trip may be the best way to catch up. I'll make sure to keep my eyes fully open this time. Growing up, my dad and I were avid hikers. It's how we bonded. Our best memories happened amongst the trees. I told him all my secrets, finding comfort and knowing that he was the only one to hear them, or so I thought. One summer, 
we decided to take a hike to a hidden area of Waterton Canyon. It was rarely visited. The trails were old and rocky, which made difficult for a trek, but we accepted the challenge. My dad's friend Deacon told him about the special trail. Dad met Deacon in college. They were debate club superstars. Pretty nerdy, right? I met Deacon only once. He was the best man at my dad's second wedding. He was nice. I liked Deacon. The day of the hike was beautiful. The skies were clear with a gentle breeze. After walking a few hours, I convinced my dad to rest. He was in his 50s, but his stamina was unmatched. To be fair, I carried the tent, so I toted more weight. We sat on a fallen tree and scarfed down our sandwiches. Dad was in the middle of a long drawn out joke when a noise interrupted him. It was the clanging of a bell combined with the snapping of twigs. We turned our heads and we then saw a man approaching. Dad abruptly stood up. As the man walked closer, he spoke to my dad with enthusiasm. Roy, is that you? Dad smiled. Willie, what's up, buddy? They laughed and embraced. Unlike Deacon, I had never met Willie. He was tall and lanky. I'm talking six foot six and 150 pounds soaking wet. Now, I'm not a judgmental person, but Willie, quite frankly, gave me the willies. Dangling from his pack was an old rusty cowbell, still clanging as he walked up. Dad had introduced us, which led to an awkward handshake. His giant hairy hand shook mine unusually hard. He leaned towards me and slightly pulled me forward. It was done in such a way that Dad didn't notice. I politely lied and said, Nice to meet you. I curiously asked about the bell. He looked at Dad and then back at me with a weird smirk. Well, they say spirits walk these woods, he said, and this bell protects against them. I didn't know whether to laugh or to be serious, so I just replied back with, Oh, cool. They spoke for several minutes. Most of their conversation was dull, but then we began talking about their college days. How's Deacon? Have you heard from him? I curiously jumped into the conversation. You know Deacon? I said. I met him at Dad's wedding. Great guy. Willie looked at Dad while Dad looked at me. He was clearly uncomfortable. He gave me a look that said, Are you kidding me? Willie broke the silence. Uh, wedding? You're remarried? Yeah, Dad said. It was a small family thing. We didn't invite many people. Willie acted fine, but the conversation turned after my stupid outburst. They ran out of conversation, leading to an awkward silence. Willie apparently didn't have great social cues, because instead of carrying on with his hike, he kind of just stood there. Dad ended our misery by telling him that we had to get moving. Willie smiled, looked at me, and then just said, Yeah, me too. He smiled, sighed, and continued along the trail. Dad and I waved, and once he was gone, exhaled with relief. 
Dad wasn't mad that I brought up the wedding. After all, I didn't know why Willie wasn't invited. I figured he just wasn't relevant in his life, especially considering that I'd never heard about him. We waited about 10 minutes before hitting the trail. We wanted to ensure that Willie was far ahead of us. Dad had then told me stories about Willie, explaining how odd he was. He was the least important member of the debate team. Along with not knowing answers, he would always make the others feel uncomfortable. He made inappropriate and vulgar jokes that really no one found funny. He made passes at uninterested waitresses, even getting himself trespassed from one of the venues. Stories about Willie the Creeper lasted for about an hour. After that, I told Dad about a girl at school. Her name was Cassandra. It was a big deal because it was my first official girlfriend. I told him how the other boys made fun of her for having braces and a slight stutter. He gave me advice, saying, You don't love someone because they're perfect. You love them even though they aren't. That sentence at the time was very important to me. The sun began to set, and we stopped and unpacked. We found a flat mossy area with lush trees surrounding it. It was perfect. We made hot chocolate, and we drank it around the small fire we had built. We were telling ghost stories, when we then heard something ruffle in the woods. Armadillo? I said softly. No. Dad responded. Too big. It wasn't really a great idea to explore, now that the moon was the only source of light. But we gave each other the same rebellious grin. We grabbed our flashlights and crept into the woods. We were both very curious about which native animal was watching us. We walked a good five minutes, but to no avail. Whatever it was disappeared into the darkness. We headed back and sat back on our logs. Dad had swallowed the last gulp of hot chocolate while I tossed mine into the fire. We crawled into the tent, zipped up our sleeping bags, and told each other goodnight. Within minutes, he was snoring. Such a dad thing to do. It took me a while to calm my mind. As soon as I was about to lose consciousness, I was startled. I abruptly sat up and listened to the silence. A few minutes later, I heard a vague but familiar noise. It sounded like a bell. I shook dad, but he didn't wake. I shook him more aggressively, but still nothing. I was too stubborn to stay in the tent, so I then stepped out with my flashlight. I looked around, but I didn't see anything out of the ordinary. A few raccoons in the distance, but that was it. I convinced myself that I must have just dreamt the sound, so I began towards the tent. I was stopped in my tracks when a sudden feeling came over me. I felt eyes watching me. I heard a whisper from a unique raspy voice that I had hoped to never hear again. Hey again. Willie said. I watched his figure step from behind a tree. He then walked towards me, slowly. I saw his bell dangling from his back. I had yelled for my dad several times, but he never responded. Let him rest, he said. That hot chocolate made Daddy sleepy. I stared at Willie and had a terrifying realization. 
He put something in Dad's drink. He drugged him. I yelled even louder, even shaking the tent. My dad just moaned and continued snoring. With each step that Willie took towards me, I stepped back at an equal distance. Tell me more about the brace face at school. Is she pretty? He lunged towards me and grabbed my shirt, tearing off my front pocket. Nearly evading his gorilla hands, I sprinted into the woods. I heard the bell loud as ever, chasing me. I ran deeper and deeper into the blackness. Thorn sliced my shins, but I didn't care. The bell got dangerously close, but thankfully my adrenaline surged me to keep running. Eventually the bell stopped. Regardless, I kept running. I literally ran until I physically collapsed. When the adrenaline of the chase was over, I found myself in the middle of the dark Colorado wilderness, completely lost. I wandered around terrified for hours, but I eventually gave up. I was really worried sick about my dad, but I was too directionally disoriented to trek back. I sat against a tree until the sun began to rise. To make a long, tedious story short, once there was enough light to see, I stumbled into a young couple. They were hiking a trail roughly one mile away from our campsite. They called a park ranger, who I directed back to camp. There were three or four deputy cruisers who were there, who were relieved to see me. They called the other deputies who were already searching the woods with Dad. Within minutes, Dad sprinted out of the woods and tackled me with love and relief. I thank God every night that Willie never went back to harm my dad. I often wonder if our nighttime pursuit made him lost as well, preventing him from finding his way back. Either way, as much as I loved hiking with Dad, we never took another overnight trip. As far as Dad and I know, the authorities never found Willie. He's still out there. Somewhere. What you're about to hear is a warning. I beg of you, I implore you, please do not go hiking in the woods around Pittsfield, Massachusetts. I know those woods like the back of my hand. I was playing with my little brother amongst those trees when I was still in single digit ages. So trust me when I say that something has been changing out there and not for the better. I first noticed something was horribly wrong during a hike a few weeks back. In early spring, birds migrate back from the warmer southern climates to their northern territories en masse. Thousands upon thousands of tiny songbirds occupy the trees around Mount Greylock during the month of March, each singing a sweet chirpy song that is. In reality, a bellowed war cry a call for challengers to step up and knock them off their perch. Yet, as I trudged through the previous winter's leaf litter, I couldn't hear a single damn thing. No birds, or any other animals for that matter, seemed to still call the forest home. This made me nervous for two reasons. One, animals have an uncanny ability to detect strangers that are imperceptible to humans. Their sense of smell, hearing, and general atmospherics are far superior to our own. If the wildlife had fled the area in such a hurry, or at least refused to return, that can mean something awful was about to happen. And two, 
Areas of woodland turn exceptionally quiet when there's a large predator around. Wood pigeons will become deathly quiet and still, hoping a black bear or mountain lion will just pass them by. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't, but either way, it would be hideously unsafe of me to wander around while one of them was prowling the area. So naturally, I started making my way back towards my car when something real peculiar happened. I feel like I should remind you at this point that I'd been playing in the woods around Mount Greylock since I was like 7 or 8 years old. It's pretty far from where our family lived when I was a kid, but thanks to our bikes, we had a pretty large area to roam when it came to those long summer breaks. Point being, I know those woods really, really well, but some way, somehow, I managed to get lost. It first came to my attention that I had managed to get myself turned around when I felt my head begin to throb with a dull ache. I stopped walking for a moment, rubbed my eyes in the bridge of my nose to try and massage away the ache. But when I opened my eyes again and then looked around, I felt a faint flash of panic running through me. I did not recognize my surroundings, and I cannot understate just how jarring that was for me to be somewhere I'd been visiting all my life, only for it to feel utterly foreign to me. I actually had to take a moment to take out my compass, just to try and get a bearing of where I was headed. But to my surprise, the compass needle kept slowly moving around. Even when I got it to sit still on a supposed bearing, it slowly began creeping around again. Now, this was much less of a problem than it might appear. Sure, it was unnerving, but there are ways around a faulty compass. Like for one, moss mostly grows on the north side of a tree, the side that gets the most sunlight, so that provided an easier way of determining which way was north. At least, it usually would. Because as I inspected various tree trunks, I realized the sun was hanging in the southern portion of the sky. That, or the moss in this area, grew mostly on the south section of the tree trunks. I get that it's not entirely out of the question, but that has yet another detail that just seemed to really fry my brain. Nothing made sense, and the less it did, the more the feeling of pure panic began to bubble up in my chest. But to panic in that situation, any kind of situation, is to welcome defeat, degradation, and death. I kept myself calm and told myself there was a rational explanation for everything that was occurring, and I walked off in the direction where I was almost sure where the nearest highway was. It was just then that I came across something that I'd never ever seen in those woods before, something that seemed so out of place that it was frankly terrifying. In all those years I'd spent roaming those woods with my brother as a kid, I'd never seen anything like the old rundown cabin that stood before me. And, I mean, it was old, as in there was no way it could have been built any later than like 1979. So just how me and my brother had missed this place was utterly beyond me. The obvious thing to do was knock on the cabin door, see if anyone was home, and as much as I might find it humiliating, ask for directions. But as I walked closer and closer towards the rustic front door, I felt the most unusual sensation. I put it down to general tiredness. Maybe my blood sugar was low. I'm not entirely sure. But for whatever reason, 
Each footstep that took me closer to the cabin seemed more and more difficult. By the time I was actually bringing a closed fist up to knock on that wooden door, it felt like something was physically repelling me from it, whispering directly into my brain, leave this place and never return. Don't look back. Never look back. When I finally knocked, the door creaked open slightly, revealing the dilapidation behind it. Whatever bolts or locks that were on that door had long since been worn away, and the inside of it was just as run down and rotten as the outside was. It was evidently abandoned, but there was a curious order to the furniture that led me to believe that every so often, the cabin did actually receive some visitors, aside from me. But something in the corner of the cabin drew my attention. I drew my attention to what I'm about to describe as, quite frankly, indescribable. I know it was a wooden idol of some kind, a small statuette set atop of a stone altar, but I could not make sense of what I was looking at. It was like my brain was completely incapable of computing the information that my eyes were feeding it. And with that, my headache returned again, along with a kind of anxiety so crushing that I felt like I was going to have a panic attack. Don't ask me how I know, but that wooden idol, a mess of twigs and vines and moss, was a representation of pure unfiltered evil, and I ran from it. I'm not in the least bit ashamed to admit that I ran like a scared child from that cabin and into the night. Yes, the night. You heard that right. When I walked into that cabin, it was still daylight. I couldn't have been there for more than a couple of minutes at most. At least, that's what it felt like. Only when I burst through that wooden door, it was pitch black outside. I ran and ran until I found the highway, ran until I found my car, and I drove like a madman until I was safely back at home. I haven't been able to bring myself to talk about what happened to me that day. That is, until now. I tried to tell a hunting buddy of mine once, but the words just wouldn't seem to come out. But please, to everyone listening to this, heed my warning and do not go hiking in the woods around Pittsfield, Massachusetts.